You're listening to Orange County's only station with critical business information, Critical Mass, with your host, Rick Franzi. Welcome to Critical Mass radio show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. If you're listening to this show in the future as a podcast, maybe off of Apple, iTunes, or one of the other podcasting services that we use, let me say thank you for finding our program and making it a part of your day and encourage you to consider listening to the program live during our broadcast times heard exclusively here on octalkradio.net. This show is brought to you by Succession Strategies, Commerce National Bank, and Smart Business Magazine. The goal for the show is to help you, our listening audience, make better decisions. If you're listening to the program today live and you may want to be a part of the conversation, well, there's a really easy way to do that, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, simply find the community chat room section of octalkradio.net's website, log in with your Twitter handle. This will bring you right to our nerve center. Our producer today, Paul Roberts, is manning the controls in the studio. He'll be able to bring your thoughts, questions, and observations to my attention, and possibly I'll be able to work it into one of the two interviews that we have planned for you today here at Critical Mass Radio Show. If you're tuned in to listen to my interview with Brian Bentrott, Managing Director for Dexas Property Group, well then just hold on. Brian will be our second guest, and he'll be on the show in about 25 minutes. Our first guest is Lauren Solomon. I've asked Lauren to join the show to share some of what she knows and her insights into the importance of personal branding and image for today's business executive and business owners. I also plan to talk to her a bit about her book, Image Matters, First Steps on the Journey to Your Best Self. Lauren is a former vice president of professional image development at Chase Manhattan Bank, and she's an internationally renowned speaker. So it's great to have her on the program and to welcome her to Southern California and Orange County in particular. Lauren, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's begin very simply by asking you to share with our audience a bit about your professional background. Well, you don't really want me to start from when I was three and I got my first makeup kit. That might be too far. <laughs> but we could back up just a little bit enough to say that this was a hobby that I turned into a business as a result of a business school assignment when I was doing my MBA at NYU in New York. And I presented my concept that seemed like something that that everyone could use and everyone could need. And when I presented it to my classmates, they all raised their hands and said, where do we sign? Let's go. And I figured I'm onto something here. From that point, I was able to do postgraduate work in professional image, in corporate image, and a whole series of image-related education that most people don't even know exist. And as a result of that, they created a position for me at the then Chemical Bank, which four weeks later became Chase Manhattan Bank, as the in-house image expert. And I had the opportunity to work with the entire organization for the next five years on the value and importance of the employee as the human asset and really focusing on the personal brand of each individual and how that supports a corporate brand to its greatest success. When I left the bank, it was to develop a 
curriculum for NYU's business school and professional skills. And then I started traveling and speaking and wrote my book, as you mentioned. And I've been out there practicing image full-time ever since. It's my passion. It's my talent. And fortunately, um, I'm able to, to do it every single day and just love what I do and do what I love. So what made you decide to bring this as a full-time profession forward in your career? I mean, you talked about really key moments, whether it be in your graduate program or the experience that you had at the bank. How did you know this would be an appropriate business and one that you could scale as you've done now, bringing it to the West Coast as well? You know, it's funny how that works. I, I think most of us are the same. We have a vision. What if? And so my what if was, what if every Fortune company had an in-house image expert? Just because I saw great value in it, and I really believed that there was an opportunity there for all of us to do better in this particular area. But I never put myself into that picture. So I had this vision of what if, and I was out there searching the world to see if it was really relevant when, in fact, a couple of people who were wiser and more visionary than I at the moment, and also they were not in my forest, so they were looking at my forest from the outside, and they could see the potential. They were the ones who came to me and actually said, we understand you're doing this image thing. We've been trying to bring it to the organization for 15 years. Uh, HR won't let us. They scream risk, exposure, discrimination. Um, but you're obviously doing something different. You're doing it in a different way, and it's being so well-received because at that point I was just practicing on my little team at the bank, and we were doing lunch and learns and just having a good time with it. I hadn't seen that it could be a full-time in-house position. I was building the idea of my, my consulting business on the outside. My vision was for what will, how will I do this full-time when I leave the bank, when in fact it got noticed from within the organization, and fortunately I had very visionary management at the time, visionary leadership, and they came to me and said, you know, can you do this for the whole organization? And I didn't, I didn't actually have time to answer, but somewhere the answer yes came out, <laughs> and we just ran full speed from there. When I left the bank, it was only because I had so many offers to do incredible, wonderful, and exciting work on the outside, and I knew fully well that, that the bank would not only become a client when the opportunity was presented, but that there would be other companies out there that did not have the same vision of the power of image within an organization and that I would be able to bring that to them as time went on. And, and that's exactly what's happened. So someone's in the audience now, they're listening either live or maybe in the future, you know, on a podcast from iTunes or something, and they're saying, okay, Lauren, what is it exactly that you do for a company? Could you explain the services that you offer and how you're helping clients? Absolutely. Usually it starts with the CEO. The CEO is generally the first person who comes to me as a client more for their personal image than necessarily the corporate image, although it can happen both ways, but that seems to be the latest, the latest direction is top-down, which also I'm a big believer in top-down leadership and management, and I believe that that's how information moves through the organization. 
but you can have a, a grassroots situation that can work too. In my case, if I come in through the CEO, you know, I jokingly say that if there are two of us in the in the uh, dressing room and one of us is in their underwear and it's never me, then the truth comes out about the business. And there are always challenges within a business, and it gives me the opportunity to hear the truth and hear what's really happening inside an organization where I'm then able to provide some additional resources and suggestions for how I can help and, and add value because I have a 20-plus year corporate, corporate history. And that's where the service menu grew from because it started with a curriculum of professional appearance, business etiquette, dining etiquette, multicultural awareness, and communication skills and styles. Those are all areas of business that I've been um, certified in. I've been practicing for years and years. The other thing that I have over time been able to do is through my own networking and my own alliances with corporate leaders around the world is to be able to provide additional resources that they may not have access to or may not currently be aware of just through my own access to people who have had great success in business at different levels, and I may see things a little bit differently because from the outside looking in, I have an opportunity to provide a different perspective, and that's been very valuable both for me and for my clients, at least that's what they tell me. So you are now here in Southern California. You weren't always a practicing professional here in Southern California. We're going to take our first sponsorship break in a moment. But before we go there, I guess I'd just like to ask you to conclude this section by helping the audience to appreciate why you've decided to relocate both your your practice and yourself to Orange County in Southern California. You mean more than the four four four-foot snowstorms that New York City experienced back in 2010? (laughs) I had been commuting between New York and L.A. for about five years in 2005, I'd had the, the honor and the invitation to create a program for T. Harv Eker's Peak Potentials Company, and I created a program called Image of Influence, and when I presented that to his community, it opened up a West Coast presence for me. Until then, I'd been traveling east to Europe and the Middle East for a lot of international business, but this started to bring me west, and it gave me... Um, it gave me access to a whole new perspective on business, which was very much the small to medium size or entrepreneurial solopreneur. And it opened up a new approach for me, which also opened up new creativity and a whole new audience. So when the opportunity arose for me to actually move both the business and my residence, Southern California was a, was a perfect spot. And I have been loving it so much this last year it's really been a treat yeah it really is um, a treat as well in the winter when you get to watch the weather forecasts in other parts of the country and then they give you the local weather so it's true I'm still wondering why everybody on the planet doesn't live in Southern California I as well Lauren we're gonna take our first sponsorship break when we come back I'm gonna ask you to talk about your guiding principle and how that's helping you to build and grow your firm kind of throughout the country, if not around the world now. So hold on to that thought. We'll get back to that question and other questions and answers with Lauren Solomon. But first, we're going to take a short time out and spend a few minutes with a couple of our sponsors. 
Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Be a reader, tutor or mentor. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge now at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. Lauren Solomon, founder of Image by Lauren Solomon, is our guest today for the first segment of the radio program. Before the break, Lauren, I said we we're going to ask you to share your guiding principle with our audience. Would you be so kind? I'd be honored. Thank you. I have one guiding principle, and it is to be of service at the highest level, and that's what I attempt to do every time I work with a client or anyone, for that matter. Well, that's simple but yet powerful, isn't it? It's an easy way to check in. You know, I, I, a guiding principle to me is someplace that I can go back to to say, have I done that? You know, in any organization, we do so many things, but ultimately, we're there to be of service. And especially as a trusted advisor, as a consultant, as a coach, as a friend in these relationships that we build over time, um, I still hold to the fact that if I'm there to be of service to someone else and help them achieve their goals and dreams, then I am, in fact, achieving my goals and dreams. Perfect. Thank you for sharing that. Let's change directions and look at a current challenge that's facing you and your business. And not only the, cha- the current challenge, but how you're dealing with it. You know, what steps you're taking or have taken to mitigate that challenge from affecting your growth and your development of the business. Would you share that with our audience, please? Absolutely. And I love this question. It really, it really set me thinking. I I believe we always have multiple challenges. There's there's never just one challenge. How do you narrow down the challenges, Rick? (laughs) So when I really looked at it, there's one challenge that travels with me always in this particular arena, which is the, the battle of the demon, the status quo. So in any situation that I'm involved There's always a question of why does someone seek me out or seek out my service, and it's not usually because there's, you know, something massive happening. It's suddenly the status quo is not good enough, and that then becomes a challenge when funds are no longer freely flowing or very available. And so in different economies, it really does shift. And so from my perspective... Um, one of the biggest challenges that I'm facing now, or I've been facing it for a couple of years now, is that people are thinking that an okay image is okay, that I can get by with what I've done in the past when, in fact, they're trying to aim for new heights and trying to go to new places where what you've done in the past is not going to take you to someplace new. It really does require a new perspective, a new vision, 
and a new way of thinking. And so from my perspective, I'm looking at getting my message out to more and more people as often as possible to help them understand that everything they've done until now has been great. And then how would it look to take them forward? And what do we need to do to change where, you know, build that bridge, change the look, whether it's them, them personally or within the organization? How do people need to show up today to be successful? How do, pe- how do we have to go about being confident? Where do we grow our confidence level from when business is shaky, when times are tough, when we're facing challenges? And it's always a new approach. I don't think any two conversations ever go quite the same way, but at the same time, there is always that underlying question of how to battle the status quo and make sure that regardless of what's happening in the economy, we each understand that we need to be thinking new and we need to be focusing ahead and really taking a leap into the future to see how we need to show up, what's going to keep us strong, what's going to keep us moving forward, and ultimately... What's going to keep us relevant? And a lot of that falls back to our image. It's how we show up that tells the world how we see ourselves, how to receive us, receive us, and ultimately how to reward us. So in that case, our image of ourselves has to continue to leap forward, and we need to be willing to make those changes, keep ourselves in that cutting-edge, front-line position. So... That's, that's a challenge that's with me all the time, and I think if I'm not thinking about that at least once a day, I've, I've missed something. There are a lot of layers to how you help clients, and as I've gotten to know you and as we were preparing for your interview on the program today, you revealed a lot of thinking and kind of depth to this topic that uh, I hadn't anticipated. And I know some of that is captured uh, in your book, and so I thought this might be a good time to ask you if you could sort of share with our audience your book, Image Matters, First Steps on the Journey to Your Best Self, sort of how you, what's contained in that book and why you wrote it, and if they were to get a copy, what would they gain from spending time with your book? Oh, thank you so much. Um, Image Matters, First Steps on the Journey to Your Best Self grew out of the lessons I learned from my clients. Many of us have this belief that change has to begin on the inside. And I have been privy to, you know, many, many hundreds of situations where change from anywhere will beget other change. And change on the outside is very, very powerful, where my clients would sit in the chair in front of a mirror and literally grow into their chair because the message in their head started to shift. And I realized that A lot of what I could see was other people's potential, and we can rarely see our own potential. So if we have someone to show it to us, then that helps us see that image. And once we can see the potential, it's a bit of a crystal ball, we can grow into it. Well, that happens very clearly in the mirror. So if I can show you your potential, the energy that then comes back inside is going to create a greater level of confidence and a greater level of forward movement for you if you haven't experienced yet. And in my book, I talk about the seven areas where image matters most because with my clients, I would start somewhere. 
You know, it didn't even matter where we started. But in the end, we always ended up in the same place. We would talk about and review our own self-image, our self-talk, our purpose, our attitude, our personal style choices. We would review our appearance and talk about wardrobe and routine and colors and, and how we actually maintain ourselves and prepare ourselves to be able to show up in the public world. Physical health goes so much to a successful image. Your home, the environment you surround yourself in every single day, plays a lot in not just reflecting who you are and how you choose to live, but how you then radiate that outward into the world your relationships and your associations, and you know that I've got my term is your propellers, your maintainers, and your drainers, and how you need to have all three, but you need to manage them, and more importantly, you need to be able to identify them as you go along. Your social self, which takes you again out into the public world, because most of us won't be celebrities per se in the way that we see them today on TV or in the movies, but we will be in public. We will have a public persona. We will be the face of a business, a department, a dream and a goal. We will be in that public eye for some reason as we move through our careers. So that social self is so important. And then ultimately your work. What are you passionate about? And how can we marry your passion with your skills? and create that brand called you that Tom Peters refers to so that we can really get to the heart of everyone where, in my experience, so many times in working with people on their image, it would come out that they were incredibly talented and gifted. They were just doing the wrong job. And it wasn't until they actually sat and spent time with themselves and, and questioned these paradigms that they'd been living under that they realized that they could do better by being in a different position, whether it be at the same organization or in a different organization. So ultimately, this notion of image that we have contained in a very small box for such a long time and said image shouldn't matter, you should be judged on your merits and your skills, and, and the truth is that none of us needs more information. In our own lifetimes, we won't have time to use the information that we've got but if we can embody it and integrate it into our, our lives on a daily basis and make it part of our practice, then we actually take the information, we give it power, we give it a use, and we show up more embodied in all these aspects of our lives, including what goes on in the mirror, what goes on in our homes, in our relationships, and in our work, and we can show up more authentically and more aligned to create and achieve more of what we're after in the first place. So how does someone get a copy of your book? Interesting that you ask that. My book is currently in final re-edit. The book was originally published in April 2002, so we are in a 10-year anniversary run right now, and I've got a revised edition that is currently in final production. It will be available through Amazon, and also online through my website. Today is the 31st. It should be available by September 1st. And so if anyone wants to inquire about it, they could inquire to me directly, and I would certainly um, be happy to pre-order for you. 
or just check back and um, at my website, which is laurensolomon.com, or they can check in with amazon.com. How would you spell laurensolomon.com? <laughs> it would be L-A-U-R-E-N-S-O-L-O-M-O-N.com. Final question before I let you go today here on Critical Mass, the radio show. What do you see as your opportunities for growth? Where are you positioning your business? What is the market telling you about opportunities for the kind of products and services that you're bringing into the market? Very recently, as recently as the last few days, I've recognized and I've also been introduced to opportunities in partnering with other professional advisors, other trusted advisors, where we can create more of a team and help to present a, a complete opportunity to help senior professionals and professionals in, in all walks uh, continue to raise the bar for themselves and their businesses. So rather than doing it as a solopreneur and as I've been doing it all these years, there's huge opportunity in being able to join up as part of a team of advisors and play a larger role and a very critical role because, as you know, Rick, uh, it's a little bit lonely out there. And so really making business happen never takes just one person. You've always got a team. And in so much as we can present ourselves as that unique team to help a business owner, a, a business leader, move themselves and their organization forward, that's how we're going to do it. And so I'll have to have you back on the program when you're able to speak more freely about this because it sounds like you're, we got you at the right time. You know what you're doing, but it may not be appropriate to go into detail about it. But can I have you back later for you to share what this vision will be? I'd be thrilled. And you know I'm available to you anytime. <laughs> and I appreciate that. And um, we're going to be having Lauren as our featured speaker for an event that I'm having for the Critical Mass community in September right after the book is published. So that's great news. It'll be on the 10th of September, and we're going to be covering a lot of what she talked about relative to the content of her book and some of the ideas that she shared with us here today on the radio program. And I really look forward to that, as does my community. So look forward to it, Lauren. Thank you for being willing to do that. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, it was a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks for being prepared and putting so much positive energy into the conversation today. I've enjoyed it. And Welcome to the Critical Mass community, and thanks for being a friend of our program. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take our second sponsorship break, spend a few minutes with a couple more of the sponsors here of Critical Mass, the radio show. And when we come back, we'll have our second guest, and I've got a couple of the things that I want to talk to you about. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after we spend a few minutes with these sponsors. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com. 
or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Succession-Strategies.com. Succession planning for your family's continued success. This is the sound of a flat-screen television hurled off a building. Now the new bike your kid wants. These are the things you could have all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Use Energy Star light bulbs and appliances, and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. This is one of three regular broadcasts we do here exclusively live on octalkradio.net. If you're interested and you'd like to learn more about the vibrant Orange County nonprofit community, then an ideal way would be to tune in on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. live here on octalkradio.net where I interview a couple executive directors from various worthy Orange County nonprofits. And we talk about their mission, their vision, their service model, who they're helping, and the help that they need, as well as, when appropriate, any future activities, galas, and fundraisers that they have coming up. So if you want to participate in their community, it's a great way to find out more about what they're doing. There are so many worthy nonprofits here in the county. I'm trying to help just some of them get their message out to the critical mass community. If you're interested in learning from the experience and advice of fellow business executives from around the country, then you may want to listen to our Thursday show, our nationally syndicated Critical Mass Coast to Coast program, which again initially airs live here on octalkradio.net at 3 p.m. each Thursday, when again I have thoughtful interviews with top executives from businesses around the country. As with this program, all three of our radio shows are available for rebroadcast anytime through one of our many podcasting services like Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and available directly off of our website, which is www.criticalmassforbusiness.com. Criticalmassforbusiness.com. I hope that you become a regular listener to one or all of our programs. And if you do, let us know. As a matter of fact, if you can think of a guest and you'd like to suggest it to me, then feel free to use the contact information from our website and send me an email and let me know who it is. And I'll be happy to speak with them about being a future guest here on Critical Mass, the radio show, or one of our other programs. All right, let's turn our attention to our second and final guest today. As I said at the open, if you were listening in to hear my interview with Brian Bentrott, Managing Director of Dexas Property Group. Well, then you're right now on time because Brian is here and ready to talk with us. So, Brian, welcome to Critical Mass. Thank you, Rick. How are you? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you? I'm good, thank you. All right, let's get into it. Tell us a little bit about you. Before we talk about 
Dex's property group and the lessons about the commercial real estate market, et cetera, from a developer's perspective. Let's learn a little bit more about you, the professional, please. I would say most recently I was a co-owner of a regional development company by the name of Master Development Corporation, and we built roughly 6.5 million feet of industrial space from San Diego throughout the Inland Empire, and we had a very successful run from 1995 to 2006, and in particular from 2000 to 2006, we built many buildings that were adaptable and attractive to the small businessman, principally from 10 to 30,000 square feet. So we made our mark doing those kind of smaller buildings toward the end of our tenure as MDC, and we had a good run. We, we were an owner-builder, so we did our own construction, vertically integrated, and we took a lot of pride in what we developed, and uh, most of our projects, if not all, have stood the test of time in terms of quality and functionality. I, uh, in the newsletter that we sent out, we talked about uh, image matters, both professionally, personally, and for your business. And as, as we wrote that uh, subject line, I thought back to the, to the book that you had shared with me. I think it's in your lobby or was in your office somewhere uh, as we were getting you ready for the radio show. Uh, and, the, and the buildings that you constructed were really, as is your, as your facility, really great representations, I think, for the tenants on, on Good curb appeal, I guess, if that's a word for it, but also the interiors and the way that you, you have constructed your buildings, I, I think, are really quite cut a good image for the occupants, whether they're owners or they're renting the facility. Well, I appreciate the compliment, and I could try to take more credit for that than I'm really actually do. My business partner, Bruce McDonald, sort of took the lead in design and architectural look of buildings in conjunction with some great architectural firms here in Orange County, including HPA, Ware Malcolm, and McDavid, Dan McDavid Architects. And in that process, I think the collaboration between a really hands-on developer who cared about the quality that they were building and great architects yielded really good results. So, so let's talk about your role today and, and Dex's property group. So help us to understand what are you doing today and, and who are you doing it for? Well, suffice to say, it was a lot different than running a regional development company. Right now, we're running a business that has a net worth of, call it, $650 million here on the West Coast. It represents 6.8 million square feet for a company based in Sydney, Australia, publicly listed firm, that manages about $14 billion in assets. So, our 650 is rather small in comparison to the activities that they're doing down in Australia. And it got smaller as a result of our executing a $770 million sale about three months ago to Blackstone. That was all of our properties, Phoenix East. So when we merged our business MDC with Dexis, the idea was to take over asset management responsibilities, principally in the West Coast markets, but they opted to get us involved in challenges and opportunities with the central portfolio. We went out to those markets, Bruce and I and another gentleman, and I think made some good real estate decisions in conjunction with our property management teams in those respective areas. And we executed a sale earlier than planned, and now we have our full time and attentions focused on our West Coast properties, again, which total 6.8 million feet, principally located in Southern California and Seattle. 
and uh, all that real estate is doing quite well, I'm pleased to tell you. So what we have here on the West Coast is the right product in the right locations. Our other product, projects from Phoenix uh, East had some challenges. So talk to us about your guiding principle. You know, uh, you're, you're in a different role with a different type of organization now, but what I've learned from asking our guests this guiding principle about their guiding principles is that many times they're transcendent, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're temporal, and they kind of have to change based on the kind of company they're working with. Or, But would you be able to talk to us a little bit about what is your guiding principle, Brian? I, I would say it sounds cliche, but treat others as you would like to be treated yourself, whether that's a coworker, a tenant, a consultant. And as it regards my associates here within the company, uh, Dexas, I like to empower them to go out and make decisions independently and only feel like they have to come to me when they really have something that they can't logically tackle on their own. So I, I like to challenge people to do more operate independently, develop critical thinking skills, and become more valuable in the process. And would you say that has been consistent regardless of which firm you were leading? Or yes. have you adjusted that based on your recent experience? Yes, I would say it's been consistent. The one, the one thing that I can say is that whether it was at MDC prior to Dexas or Dexas now, I've never managed a lot of people. So it's easier to impart those strategies to a smaller group. So that's been an advantage for me in my career in that I'm not managing, you know, numbers of people. I'm managing small numbers of people. And so I think that strategy can perhaps be a little more impactful when you're closer to a smaller number of people. Brian, we're going to take our third and final sponsorship break. When we come back, I'm going to ask you sort of to give from your pers professional perspective an update on the state of the commercial real estate development here in Southern California, and also share with us kind of your insight and experience in what goes into whether to buy a commercial building and, and, and if that's even a smart decision in today's economy. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a chance to get inside of Brian's head a little bit as it relates to his professional expertise in his industry. But first, we're going to spend just a few minutes with these sponsors. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plans and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Green light. Hey girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You wanna meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah. Street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. 
Stop the texts, stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Brian Bentrott, Managing Director of Dexas Property Group, is our guest. And before the break, we said we're going to ask for a little bit of insight into a couple different areas about the commercial building market here in Southern California. Brian, can you just give us a piece of what you know about the market today from your perspective? I would say that the the recovery in industrial has been rather uneven. It's been a top-down driven recovery. The bigger the bigger firms and the bigger buildings far and away are outperforming the smaller buildings and when you talk about small that's a relative term in the inland empire that might be 100 to 300,000 feet in Orange County you might classify that as call it 50 to 100 and then you have everything below 50,000 which sort of relates to your second question about opportunities for people who want to own real estate who operate businesses so I would say categorically if you're a business person that has the ability to buy buildings that would be 10 to 50,000 square feet that right now represents one of the best time in recent memories to buy those types of buildings because frankly the the values have reverted to early 2000 types of values and the buildings that one would be able to buy at those levels are going to be very difficult to replace because there's so little land left in Orange County or the Inland Empire for that matter. So I'm, I'm a big advocate of owners, business owners, trying to own their property, but with the following provisos. Number one, if you're going to get an SBA loan, you're going to put down 10%. Your payment's going to be, I think, proportionally higher because you're carrying a fairly high loan to value. I would say if you can afford to put more money down, that's always a good thing because you will, when you do that, compare your total ownership cost with your out-of-pocket rental cost, and you'll probably find that those two become closer. So I would say always pay attention to rental versus ownership costs and make sure that your ownership costs are not more than maybe 20% more than what it would take to rent, with special exceptions, of course. But the real beauty of becoming an owner of your real estate, if it's in the right location, it's the right kind of building, is that it's going to appreciate over time. You may have an opportunity to outgrow it and to lease it to somebody else and enjoy a positive cash flow, but the biggest benefit is when you go to sell your enterprise and there's a value to your business, you can then require the new buyer of your business to enter into a five- or a ten-year lease and have a great annuity for your future years. And I've talked to countless business owners who've taken that approach and they're glad that they did. And in fact, maybe their initial building allowed them to buy other pieces of real estate. And I think over time they've accumulated nice net worth as a result of that strategy. So does that sort of hit the high points with you, Rick, on that question? Yeah, I guess I, I, it does. And I wanted to follow up with maybe one that's a psychology question, which is to make that as I'm listening to your answer, I'm thinking to make that decision, not only does it need to kind of pencil out, and you said 20% within, without you know, some special exceptions, but keep it within 20% of what mm -hmm. your rental rate would be, et cetera. But I'm, the, the difference may be also in the confidence that I would have as a business owner that 
that I will require this building into the future, that I can afford this building in the future, and that I'm making a, a very long-term commitment to a hard asset like that. Uh, from your from your understanding of what's going on in the business climate here in Southern California, is the psychology of a business owner who would need a 10 to 50,000 square foot business starting to change? Are they catching up to the market opportunity? Or is it a market opportunity, a great time to buy property based on valuations, but the demand isn't maybe where it could be based on how great of a deal they would be getting. The, the latter. So what you just described is what exists. But interestingly enough, there's not that many buildings for sale in the greater universe of buildings in these markets because a lot of them are controlled by people who do not want to sell their real estate. So it's it's sort of an oxymoron, you would think, because the economy has been down for so long and because businesses are just now starting to feel some recovery op opportunities, that you would think the prices would have been very depressed. Well, they're, they're not as depressed as you might think, even though I've told you that they've declined generally to early 2000 era, to 2000, 2004 kind of pricing levels. But keep in mind, rents have dropped accordingly. If, if anything, maybe rents have dropped further. So there's no doubt that the rental ownership parity equation, it's been tilted in favor of leasing versus owning, even in spite of the fact that prices have come down, which is, which is interesting. But I think that a business owner, if he looks at his baseline business case and says, I'm going to continue to do X number of sales, my profits are going to be Y, and, and can confidently say that that would continue for a period of time, now would be an excellent time to buy real estate or alternatively lease a building with an option to purchase, even though the option to purchase might have an index to it where the longer that person waits, the higher the price of the building goes up. I just think that to have the option to own your real estate if the building tends to be a newer building uh, is, a, is a good thing for business owners. I love doing this show because it gives us an opportunity to have guests on who can provide teachable moments. And um, I think you just did that with your multiple answers to that kind of question, the questions that we had about that. Because I don't doubt, Brian, that we'll look back on this interview at some point in the future and go, if I would have listened to him. So if, for those of you that are listening to us today live or maybe in the recent future as a podcast, you may want to rethink your belief system about the value of buying versus leasing. So thank you. I appreciate your expertise, Brian. You're more than welcome. Final question for you today here on the radio program, and it's one that kind of is a business, but it's a personal one. Could you share with us a time in your past where you learned a really valuable business lesson, but it came out of what might have been at the time a difficult or even, dare I say, a painful experience. Do you have one of those that you could share with our audience today? I, I do, and in fact, it in, involves a industrial project that we bought at the height of the market. That was October of 2006. We bought a large industrial park, and the intent was to turn the individual units into condos and sell out 48 individual industrial units. And the lesson learned is that, A, I would never undertake that with an older project because this building, these buildings were built late 60s, early 70s. And as we started to peel back the layers of the onion, uh, we found so many things that cost so much more than we had anticipated, which, again, 
relates to my comment earlier about wanting to buy newer properties. You know, if you can find real estate that you can buy that's, you know, mid-80s on, I'm, I'm a strong advocate of buying relatively newer properties than something built, call it pre-1980. The other things that were what I would call a firm grasp of the obvious in hindsight was that there were just too many units to get through an economic cycle. So that was a, a risk going in with 48 units. The timing was bad in that you want to try to hit that in an upward swing in the economy. And I guess you could say, well, nobody could have ever predicted the cataclysmic downturn that we experienced. But the overall lesson in that project was avoid older projects that require a lot of capital expenditures based upon a business plan that had you selling 48 units over a three- to four-year period. In hindsight, that just wasn't realistic. So if I had that to do over again, I would have saved a lot of money and probably equally important a lot of my time that could have been better spent on other things that would have been much more productive. But as the saying goes, live and learn. So we did live and learn on that one. Say la vie, live and learn. All right. How does someone learn? Thank you for that. But how does someone learn more about you, your firm? How do they find you online, Brian? I think they should go to our website. And if they would like to meet me or call me and simply shoot the breeze about real estate opportunities, I'm happy to give people advice and counsel on real estate without an expectation of anything in return because, A, I like to help people, and, B, I love real estate. So I'm always uh, keen to want to give my opinion, and sometimes the advice may be what it's worth, but I'm happy to help people in any way I can. And I think I have, after 30 years, a pretty good sense of real estate, uh, where to buy, what to buy, and some of the factors that would bode in favor of buying or perhaps not in favor of buying if that were the case. Well, I appreciate your time on the program, your knowledge, and your willingness to share a piece of it with our listeners here, which are mostly business owners and mid-market executives, not just in Southern California, well, but good. around the globe well, now. So well, you. I uh, am glad that you tracked me down. I enjoyed you know, thinking about these questions in advance and answering them hopefully thoughtfully and honestly. I think you did. Thanks for being a friend of the program, and uh, welcome to being a member of the Critical Mass community. Thank you very much, Rick. Have a good day. Gentlemen, that's just a sample today of the quality of guests that we consistently have here on Critical Mass Radio Show. I feel very fortunate to my producers and to all the crew that help bring this show to you each and every week, as well as the other shows. I'd like to thank our producer and phone screener, Paul Roberts. Our marketing communications manager, Kelly Faltus, and I am your host, Rick Franzi, saying until the next time we have a chance to talk, here's hoping that all of your decisions move your business in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass, only on OCTalkRadio.net.